0: Praise songs, much as the one we just sang, have a lot in common with the psalms. We read the psalms, and it's not, uh, not that the ancient Hebrews would not have read them, but they certainly sang them as well. They were prayers that were both spoken and sang. And they were very personal. Much as we sing praise songs directly to God, many of the Psalms were pleas directly to Jehovah God. Psalm 25 is a psalm of David directly to God a plea for deliverance and forgiveness. It was a time that David was calling out to God. And this morning we're going to be reading the first ten verses of this prayer. And so as we read it, I want you to picture in your mind this, not simply as a uh, words on a page, but rather the plea the impassioned cry of david's heart to almighty god if you're physically able i ask if you would please stand with me as we read and david said to you o lord i lift up my soul oh my god i trust in you let me not be ashamed Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. Oh, I wait on you all the day. Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindnesses, for they are from old. But do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me, for your goodness' sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, and therefore he teaches sinners in the way, the humble he guides in justice. And the humble, he teaches his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth, and to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you in relationship. We come to you as one side, one partner in a relationship. We know we're not equal partners, but yet we we are partners in this thing. We, We are participants in a covenant relationship with you. We understand that Lord, this is, uh, you are not a corporation, you are not a business, Uh, you you are not uh, simply some non-personal entity, but you are our Father in heaven. You are a personal God who we deal with, who we are not meant to ignore or simply call upon at our convenience but rather God we are we were created and we were redeemed to relate to you on a day by day and moment by moment basis and father i pray that you would help us as we study the life And and this one particular instance of your servant David and how he related to you, God, that it would teach us and inform us in each of our own relationships with you. How we would learn our own relationships can be bettered and, and become more loving and closer to you. Father, we pray and we ask the blessing of your spirit on the reading and proclamation of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As I considered this passage, um, this prayer, and thought, how would we look at it today? What What came to me was, This prayer um, depicted in David a surrendered life. The Bible tells us that David is a man after God's own heart. And I have often pondered, I have often thought, what does that mean? Because it does not mean that he is a perfect person by any means. David screwed up a lot. And if there's anything that both bewilders me and encourages me it's that fact that he can be a man after God's own heart and yet he can mess up an awful lot because the perfectionist side of me says well that can't be right that he's a man after God's own heart I want to see somebody like Daniel be called a man after God's own heart. Because Daniel's a person in Scripture that Daniel is basically Dudley Do-Right. Daniel never messes up that you see. Daniel always does the right Thing. I mean, we know he sinned because he's a human being, but in Scripture we always see Daniel doing the right thing. Almost no other major biblical character do we see do, always doing the right thing. David does amazing stuff for God, and then David also screws up amazingly, messes up amazingly, sins amazingly. So how is he a man after God's own heart? And so that part of me, this perfectionistic part of me that says, oh, being a Christian is just always doing right and never messing up. It just kind of conflicts with that. It kind of says, blows my mind in that area. But then I have to look at well, man after God's own heart. It's that though David got away From God at points. He drifted. He backslid. He got away from God at points in his life. But that his normal setting, the place where he normally was, his general inclination was to follow God's heart. When he was on the right path that he was, most of the time, he had a heart like God's. His life was surrendered to God. And when I look at this prayer to God, and it, he wasn't trying to show off. It was just his prayer. It was just his natural way of, uh, his natural inclination, his natural normal way of relating to God. But it just couldn't help but display his tendencies. It couldn't help but display his mindset and the way that he related to God. And in this prayer, to me, you see a sign of a surrendered life. A life that was given to God. When you look at this first verse, it says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Now, other translations will say, I give you my life. or I. But the, the literal tra- and that's a, that's a good translation, because soul can be translated life. But he's literally saying, God, I, I give you everything. And when he says, I lift up my soul, the picture is of an offering it is i am giving it to you now how did david end up doing the bad things that he did in his life well the problem with us as living sacrifices that we're called to be you know paul tells us in romans chapter 12 that i beseech you therefore brethren brothers and sisters present yourselves as living sacrifices See, regular sacrifices, the kind that you butcher and then stick on the altar, they're there. They're going to burn. They're going to waft up to the Lord. Uh, But living sacrifices, we can jump off that altar. You know, we're alive, and so we can get off of it. And that's how David went and messed up, and that's how we mess up. We say, we sing, I surrender all, but in our minds, we think, I surrendered all. That is, we think, oh, I said the words, I, I walked the aisle, I, I, my name's in a book, and, and I did all this and that. And we think, oh, I did a one-time surrender, so I'm, therefore, I'm completely surrendered forever. No, 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 no. The Bible does not say, uh, you know, I beseech you to do a one-time-for-all surrender, By being one time in one moment transformed. No, it says to renew your minds. That is a continual process of surrendering over and over. It is something we've got to constantly work at. And when any of us, like David, when we falter and we stop transforming our minds, we get instead, we conform to the world and we hop off. The altar, and we start doing our own things because we're not living that sacrificial, surrendered life anymore. But that's another message. So we're going to get back on a surrendered life today, though. What does it look like to have a surrendered life? I think we can see that in the words of David. And that's what I want us to talk about and think about today. Surrendered life that we see in the prayer of David, first of all, is trusting final justice to God. Trusting final justice to God. He says, oh my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those, who be, let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. I think David's a lot more honest than we are. Sometimes we're not honest about the fact that it bothers us the way other people treat us. It bothers us what others have done to us, and sometimes we pretend that it doesn't, and we just smush it down, and we say, no, because I'm not, I'm not jealous, I'm not vengeful, um, I'm not envious, um, I'm not unforgiving, we pretend that we're not any of those things because we know that those are unchristian. We know those things are wrong. We know that to, uh, to hold a grudge or to be hateful or to be unforgiving, we know those are non-Christian things, so we automatically say, well, I'm not those things because I'm a good Christian. And so we pretend that we aren't those things while all the while we are, and we're just letting them simmer, okay? Saying you're not committing a sin and not committing a sin are not the same things. Pretending that you're not, not admitting it, and, it, and not doing it are not the same thing, but lots of us do that because we say, well, I'm a good Christian, so I must not be doing that. Guess what? David was honest. He knew, I got some issues, God. It's hurting my soul, God. What these people are doing to me is tearing me up, God, and I need your help. Because what my enemies, what the people who are after me, the way they're talking about me or the way they're coming after me. And he knew about enemies more than any of us. He had people coming after him. He had people trying to tear down his reputation. And he had people trying to tear him down, literally trying to kill him. So physically, they were coming after him with violence and violence through his rep- tearing, destroying his reputation in every way, he, from outside his family, inside his family, every way you can imagine. He had enemies and he had people around him doing him wrong, betraying him all the time. And guess what? He, to surrender to God, to have any peace in his life, David had to say, God, I've given this to you. God, I have to trust you with justice. Because if David, with all the enemies that he had, if he spent his time saying, I'm going to make sure they get punished. I'm going to make sure this gets done right and they get corrected and, and, and that, that they don't get it, you know, that they don't get off the hook. If he spent his time doing all that stuff, he would never do anything for God because it would consume him with all the enemies he had. And he will consume you if you take the people who have done you wrong and if it becomes your thing, oh, 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 I'm not vengeful. All, I, all I'm going to do is I'm just going to see that justice is done. Uh, oh, I'm just going to see that, 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 that they don't get away with this. You know, if that becomes your motto in life, it'll consume you. Now, I am not saying don't, you know, become a doormat or don't allow the law to do its work or, or those kinds. Of, yeah, yes, do all that. I'm not saying make yourself a victim. I'm not saying any of that. But there has to be a point in time where you say, okay, I'm going to let the law do what it can do. I'm going to, you know, do the basic things that I can do. I teach, I'm I'm not going to be a doormat. I'm going to teach my children how to deal with bullies. But guess what? There's a point in time where I say, God, vengeance is yours. You've said in Scripture, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You've spoken. You've said you're going to take care of it. And I trust you you and so i'm gonna i'm gonna let that go and so there you go we've got to get to that place in a surrendered life to says i trust you with final justice trusting god with final justice a second thing that we see in a surrendered life is that we hunger for the things of god hunger for the things of god look what david said here in verse 4, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your path. Lead me in your path and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day long. You know, I, uh, I came across this quote I, I shared. Uh, I saw on someone else's Facebook page, and then I, I shared and passed along. It was pretty great, um, but somebody had gotten off of uh, Rick and Bubba, and They had said, you know, basically, hey, I used to have a lot of excuses about um, why I didn't, like, read the Bible and stuff. Oh, reading was boring, this and that and the other, until I finally realized I ended up becoming an expert on pretty much everything in life that mattered to me. And I thought, wow, that's pretty good. You know, ain't that interesting? Whatever your hobby, whatever your thing is... I don't care if it's working on cars, if it's fashion, if it's, you know, you know what your thing is. I don't. And and it may be some weird sci-fi thing you watch or it, it may be some, you know, plant or some agricultural thing or some everybody has a thing or a few things. And those things that matter to you, you know more than anybody else about them. And and in fact, you know so much that you generally know not to talk about them unless there's somebody else who's into that thing as much as you are because you know you're going to bore, or a few of you don't know, and you just do bore other people. But most of you know, I'm not going to talk about that thing unless I get around other people who are into that thing. The stuff that matters to you, you become an expert on it. And so it doesn't really even matter if you like to read or not. In fact, what historians will tell us is that back in the 1800s, most people only learned to read to read the Bible. That was their only reason to become literate in the first place. They weren't reading romance novels, you know. They weren't reading about the latest You know, good-looking, hunky uh, vampire story that was out there or whatever else. There weren't all these things out there. They were learning to read the Bible, maybe, and maybe Pilgrim's Progress and a couple of other things, but your average person learned to read so that they could read the Bible. (laughs) There wasn't this excuse, well, I, I don't like to read. And nowadays, there's sure not an excuse when there's audiobooks and when there's everything else. What you detect in the words of David, he was like, God, I'm hungering. I'm thirsting. Teach me. Show me. Invite me. I want to know more about you. And guys, the things that we're into, we Google it. We YouTube it. We ask people about them. You know, whatever, it, whatever we want to know about, we find about it. We, let's just be honest. We, we have little things we don't care about, and we say, huh, you know, I've always wondered about that. And we just don't really ever bother to look it up or ask. Or, but the stuff we care about, we seek it. We search it. We go on a journey on a... On a mission until we can get it. And and so often we just get more and more and more. Deeper and deeper into whatever that thing that we care deeply about. And that's how David was. That's why he was a man after God's own heart. Because there was a hunger within him. And the more he got to know God, the more he wanted to know God. The more he was awed by God in his presence. There was this amazing hunger for God. The third mark of a surrendered life is humbly acknowledging sins. Humbly acknowledging sins. Here's the thing about David. All the things that he accomplished, all the things that he did, he did not ever pretend to be perfect. When we pick up here, he talks about in verse 8. Or let's go back to verse uh Let's 6. Let's go to 6. Remember, O oh Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness. So he's talking about these things. Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. Go to verse 8. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. He's saying, God, you're good because you teach even somebody like me. Somebody who's messed up, God, you haven't given up on me. David's like, I'm not playing that perfection game. I'm not playing this pretend stuff. I'm not going to do it like I'm some holier than everybody else. I'm better, I'm more dignified. Remember when um, he had married... Saul's daughter Michael was kind of the prize so to speak to you know anyway we won't go into that whole story but for a while they had a good relationship and then things turned bad and and she started getting hard-hearted toward him and and he had he had entered into town and he was rejoicing and dancing when the 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 Ark of the Covenant was coming back in to Jerusalem and she said oh look at you you're so undignified Acting like this, you look like like one of the servants. How can you, as king, behave like this? And David said, I'll become even more undignified than this. David said, I'm not worried about putting on a show. I'm not worried that I stripped off my outer coat. I'm not worried what people think about me. I'm sitting here rejoicing in the presence of God that that the ark of the covenant is back, that God has done a great work here. I'm never not putting on this show about how high and holy I am. I'm just worshiping him. I just love God. And David was never one to like try to put on a show and and Let me dress a certain way. Let me act a certain way to to meet up to everybody's expectations. He just loved God and he just worshiped God. And he was the first person to tell anyone, I'm a sinner. (laughs) I sin, I mess up, I'm not putting on a front, I'm not pretending I'm better than anybody else, and I'm not making excuses for my sin. He wasn't one of those others, you know, like, I'm a cool God follower because I sin sometimes. He was like, no, I sin, and I hate it that I've sinned. And don't be like me when I've sinned. I had to. It's terrible that I've sinned. I hate how I've hurt people. I've had to confess it to God. Sin is terrible. Don't be like me when I've done that. It was a huge mistake. But thank God, thank God he's restored me. And that brings us to this final part of a surrendered life is celebrating God's mercy. You see, that's why he could go around and he could openly, humbly confess his sin because of God's mercy. He does that in just the same breath as he talks about his sin. He celebrates God's mercy. Those things went hand in hand with him. You ever been around somebody who never got over getting saved? I mean, have you really? You get around somebody who never got over getting saved. That is, the new didn't wear off. They're still actually excited about God's grace. Like, they don't say, oh, yes, I'm thankful for the grace of God. But no, they're really like, man, God's grace. I can't even believe it with the stuff I've done, with the thoughts that I've thought, with the words that I've spoken, with the things, the life that I've lived, and somehow God still saved me. And somehow God still loves me today. And it's like, unlike most of us who seem to kind of get over God's amazing grace, even though we say it's amazing, we sing about it being amazing, we've kind of gotten used to it, and it's not so amazing to us somehow David was one of those folks that he got saved and he never got over it David understood that God's mercy and God's grace was something to be passionate something to be amazed about it was a wonder to him he couldn't shut up he was kind of annoying about it <laughs> People, Okay, David, yes, God's good and everything. No, you don't get how good God is, he would say. You say he's good, but you're not getting it. Somehow it's not sinking in. I can tell when you say the word good, you don't say it like I do. You're not not getting it. And David couldn't shut up. I mean, read through the Psalms. David didn't fake it. Now, sometimes he said, oh, God, where are you? Okay? He wasn't faking it then either. He wasn't saying, oh, God is tough, but I know it's still good. No, he was saying, God, where are you? I don't feel you. Okay? When he felt that way, he told God. But other times he was saying, God, you're so good. God, I'm amazed. God, you're so merciful. God, your grace is so good. I see in his words the marks, the signs of a surrendered life. Now the point is not that we take his prayer and necessarily copy it and all of a sudden we'll be surrendered live Christians it wouldn't hurt at all to pray through this prayer. And in fact, I think that's very biblical for us to take prayers in Scripture and pray through them and, and maybe where our feelings differ from the feelings of, of the man or woman who's praying, say, well, God, now I feel kind of like that, but I don't feel like this, or God, help me understand what they're saying there. I think praying biblical prayers is an awesome exercise in your relationship with God and draw closer to Him. But, but just understanding what he's saying and God he feels this way and God I, I kind of feel that same way too but this other way I'm not sure that I do maybe I should God help me but maybe it gets us thinking gets us doing that very biblical concept called meditating not just skimming through you know okay up Yep, got my devotional time in today, check that off, I can go on to the next thing. But actually looking and and thinking, pondering deeply. You know what, we're used to pondering deeply about stuff, and so often it's trivial stuff, though. People are like, ooh, I saw what happened last week. On the Mandalorian, what's gonna or WandaVision or or whatever this latest episode of streaming TV is, or you know, or there's these people that see real life crimes and they get on the internet and like there's people without a job or maybe they have a job but they're not doing their job and at work they're they're researching and they're trying to figure out a crime and they're accusing people and doing all this crazy stuff. Like people fixate and focus deeply on stuff they have no business focusing on it's crazy people focus on things all the time but god says we should be focusing on his word and his stuff the best illustration i ever heard of biblical meditating is it was reminding us that it's not like the eastern religion type of meditation which we hear a lot about, or sometimes called New Age meditation, which is clearing your, you know, crossing your arms and legs and making the mmm sound and, you know, clearing your mind of going into total nothingness. That's, that's not biblical meditation at all. Biblical meditation is, instead of nothingness, emptying your mind, it's filling your mind, it's dwelling on God's Word and filling yourself more and more with it. And the best illustration I ever heard of it had to do uh, with a cow. And it talked about how cows have, have these four stomachs. Is that really true? Is that true? Yes, yes, okay. So my expert in the back says, that's true. And, and the speaker was telling me that, like, you know, this cow might take this first bit of hay in and, you know, eat it. That goes in that first stomach. And that's pretty good. And then after a bit... Regurgitates it. That was pretty good the first time. What about a second time? Regurgitates it. Goes down into that second stomach. Oh, I bet that's going to be even a little better that second time. I don't even have to repeat. You, you get the idea. And, and after four times, it's gotten the full nutritional value out of this. Hey. And the speaker was saying, that's how we should be about God's word. Instead of being like speed readers trying to just check it off the list. Oh, yes. You know, I read through the Bible in 32 days, aren't I an amazing super Christian? Instead, the idea is not how fast, but how deep. How can I get the most? How can I mind the depths of what God is trying to teach me through this passage? Now, reading through a book or through a portion or even through the whole Bible, that's an awesome, wonderful thing. And God bless you if you're doing that, and that's a, that's a goal, and that's something some of you have done many times, or maybe you did it a certain time, and that's great. But getting deep into God's Word, going where He wants you to go, drawing closer to Him. And I just want to remind you, though, as you look at these, these things we've talked about today, about these signs of getting close if you are doing them, or maybe you look back and you say, you know, I was once doing them. And maybe you've assumed that because you were one time doing them that you've necessarily continued to do them. Remember, all of us are living sacrifices. And that means we can all jump off the altar. And so to follow Christ We have to do what he said, and that is daily we have to take up our our crosses and deny ourselves and follow him. That means daily we have to offer ourselves to God. Daily we have to let our minds be renewed so that we're not conformed to this world, which basically automatically happens passively. We don't have to choose. We don't have to wake up and say, okay, devil, okay, flesh, okay, world, take me over. From the biblical perspective, all we have to do is wake up and do nothing. And we're like on a conveyor belt that's marching us, moving us toward conforming to the world. Unless we wake up and start a new day and say, God, I'm intentionally offering myself to you. I'm going to let my mind be transformed, my body be transformed by renewing my mind as I focus on you. And your word and your things, those things that are good and pure and true, I'm giving it to you. I'm keeping myself intentionally on this altar. I'm not jumping off in this day or this moment or this hour. And that's a surrendered life. God, here it is. It's yours. And our life becomes more like this prayer we see of David in Psalm 25. And that's what I want my life to look like. And I hope it's what you want your life to look like as well. Let's pray. God, thank you for this example from David of this passionate prayer that he prayed. God, thank you that he cared. Even though he messed up, he didn't give up. Lord, that his heart was in the right place, even if sometimes his lips and his feet weren't. But even though he strayed, Lord, he knew where to come back. Father, I thank you that your mercy means we can always come back. You do not give up on us. But Lord, your parables, the ones Jesus told us about the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son, They remind us that no matter how far we go, how far we wander, how far we stray, whether we are accidentally lost or intentionally lost, God, you love us. And there is a celebration and a feast waiting for anyone who returns. God, your arms are open wide. And I pray that someone, whether in these pews today or someone watching, listening, God, that you would tug their heartstrings today and you would say, return. Come home. Come back. Enter the celebration. Return to the relationship. Or maybe there's someone who's never been and you say, come and enter the family today. God, may your spirit move to woo and invite and draw, draw in those who need you desperately. May you strengthen and inspire and encourage those of us who are part of the family and need to draw closer. We pray these things trusting and believing and praising your power, your glory, your mercy, and your might. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.